Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. But human beings really are fascinating creatures. And looking for this video, I ran across another one. I don't have time to show it. But it was a guy who was a 94-year-old judo sensei. He had started doing judo when he was 27 years old, and he had been doing it ever since, and he is still out showing, uh, flipping guys over his legs, and just, just remarkable to, to think of all that human beings are capable of. Now, we, we certainly know humans are capable of great moral evil, but just stop and consider all the, all the astonishing, remarkable things that human beings have accomplished on a clear night, you can actually go outside and see a space station orbiting the Earth with your, with your naked eye. In that same orbit, there are hundreds of satellites that help us have everything from the Internet to GPS to all of the different military technologies that orbit the Earth. There, there's been a telescope floating around in orbit since 1990, and it gives us images like this one. This is called the Sombrero Galaxy. This galaxy, they've counted, I don't know how you count this far, but they say that it has 800 billion suns in that one galaxy. And, and we just, let's put a telescope in orbit so we can see it better. Uh, consider the fact that we've got remote-controlled vehicles driving on the surface of other planets today. We've got another probe that's lurking around out beyond, uh, out beyond Neptune. It's called New Horizons. It, it found this thing, this snowman-looking thing, floating around out in the orbit past Pluto. It's called Arakoth. Just to understand something of what that is, it, it's kind of like an asteroid. It's about 22 miles long from top to bottom. And we have a probe that went out and took a picture of that. Now, now, to understand the complexity of this, this object that's 22 miles long is, is around 4.1 billion miles away. And it's making a rotation around the sun just like we do, except it takes about 200 plus years for this thing to make one complete orbit around the sun. Just consider what a feat it was to get something here to take a picture. Uh, just, to, just to put this to scale, getting a space probe to an object 22 miles wide, 4.1 billion miles away from Earth, would be the equivalent of us shooting a, a target the size of a Coke can on the surface of the planet Venus. That's the equivalent. To hit this thing, from that far away. We've got two space probes right now that are still sending signals back that are somewhere around 13 billion miles away, the Voyager probes. I could go on for a long time talking about the remarkable feats of human accomplishment. We could talk about architecture and art, that song that we just heard. I anticipate that that's something that what, that's what heaven will sound like as we approach the gates. Something like that song is what we will hear as we approach the gates of heaven. 
Uh, I, I mean, just the, the remarkable accomplishments in art and music. Think about medicine and things like mobility. It's, a, it's incredible what people have been able to do. Last week, we started walking through God's story as we first considered the reality of God as creator. But we have to recognize that in God's creative work over the course of those six days, that he came to a crowning accomplishment in his creative process. And, and it really is astonishing to me, for me to think about this when I see a picture of what they call the, the sombrero galaxy that has majesty and glory inherent in and of itself that I can't comprehend, that it has stars numbering 800 billion inside of its mass. God just put that there for the fun of it. But the, the pinnacle of his creation are not those nebulas that we've seen pictures of from the Hubble telescope where stars are given birth to. The pinnacle of God's creative work are the creatures responsible for all those accomplishments that I just listed. You look around the room this morning, and, and I know we ain't much of a group here, but you're looking at the pinnacle of God's creative work. Human beings. And, and the thought that there are people who want to remove God from this equation. I'm going to tell you, if we remove the Creator from this equation, we're left with a very unsatisfying answer. That, that somehow or another, we as human beings evolved the ability to solve the remarkable mathematical equations necessary to get a space probe to hit a 22-mile target 4.1 billion miles away from here. I didn't mention that in order to get that space probe to that 22-mile target 4.1 billion miles away from here, somebody had to get a calculator out and figure out how to get enough gravitational boost off the orbit of Jupiter to get it there. Like, I had to turn my phone sideways to calculate these numbers. All that courtesy of evolution coming from those lower life forms. I'm going to tell you, if you believe that this morning, you've got more faith than I've got. I don't think so. This morning, I want us to talk about the great reality, something that we all have in common I want us to consider the second step in our journey, simply being human. Last week we talked about the fact that God has all power and all authority as the creator. It was his prerogative. However, God chose in his infinite wisdom to share his rule over creation with the crowning achievement of his creative work. He chose to let us, as human beings, share in his rule over his creation. This morning we backtrack just a couple of verses to Genesis chapter 1, and we read verse 27 and 28. If you are able, would you please stand with me as we read these two passages that you know very well. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. God, thank you for us, this tribe of people that we call humans. Thank you, God, that in spite of the fact that we see all of our flaws and weaknesses and shortcomings, that somehow or another, as the only portion of creation that bears your image, you made us the pinnacle of all this work. May we understand something today about being human. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Just as a warning... I have a very high view of human beings. I really do believe that humans are the pinnacle of God's creative work. I really do believe humans are the most important thing in all of creation apart from God Almighty himself. I really do believe that. And I really do believe that how God has ordered it in the book of Genesis and how God has established it is the only right way to go about being human. And so this, this worldview with which I preach this is offensive to the world today. It's offensive to the sensibilities of the culture in which we live, but I will believe it and defend it nonetheless. When we consider being human, we need to understand that countless gallons of ink have been spilled exploring this topic. However, you will be happy to know that I will not be adding too many more gallons to the topic this morning. We could spend the rest of the day simply exploring the imago dei, the image of God. It's clear that that's the part of creation that makes us unique because the reality is, is our physical stuff is no different than the physical stuff that everything else is made from. It's clear that, that we're comprised of the same elements that your dog and your cat are made out of in your home. If you boil them all down and burn them all down, you're left with the same composition of carbon and whatever other molecules are left after it's all said and done. However, we understand that what separates us from all those other things is this incredible concept of the image of God, and it is this part of our creation that makes us unique. And there's all kinds of ways that people have chosen to explain what it means to be created in the image of God. Some have suggested that it is our ability to think that is what it means to be created in the image of God. But I, I believe animals can think. I mean, my little dog, he's thinking. When I come home, he's thinking. He's thinking it's time to go outside. And he's thinking, if you don't take me outside quickly enough, I'm going to show you what I'm thinking, and that's I'm, not, I'm going to do my business inside before I get outside. He is thinking that. I can see it as he is barking at me incessantly, telling me that there is a next step that needs to happen. So I believe thinking happens in, in other animals. Therefore, some have suggested that it's not our ability to think. It is our ability to think about thinking that creates our image of God. I'm pretty sure that my little dog who needs to go outside isn't to the point of thinking about thinking. I don't think his evolution has quite reached that stage where he is, he is contemplating his own ability to contemplate. Now you say, I don't know if I can do that. I assure you, you can. You're doing it right now as you're trying to understand what it means to think about thinking. You're thinking about thinking right now. Now, 
Of course, we could talk about our ability to love as certainly a a, a signpost of our image-bearing status. We could talk about our innate sense of right and wrong. We have, as, as human beings, a, a, a common denominator of morality. You won't find civilizations where, where murder is accepted or stealing is accepted. Somebody says, well, you don't, you know, not every civilization believes that stealing is wrong. I can assure you that we can prove this to the test. If we go to a, to a, a remote island with a group of villagers who've never seen, never heard Christian morality, if you go barging into their hut and you take something, that was in that hut and you run with it they will prove to you they believe stealing is wrong they will show you that they believe stealing is wrong so we have this built-in sense of morality we could explore the the vast range of emotions that we experience joy and sorrow anger fear anxiety anticipation hope i don't I don't think my, my dog has anticipation or hope. And I, I've, I've tested this because he, he can't hear well. And so when I come home and he doesn't hear me come in, he's laying on his bed and he is completely oblivious to the fact that I am there. And he will stay there until nature tells him to move. He doesn't have anticipation that I'm going to be home anytime soon. He doesn't have the understanding of how long it's been. So we have these emotions that, that other creatures don't experience. And, and so do we boil down the image of God to just one idea? Actually, no. What we find out is that bearing the image of God is not about just one characteristic that we can pinpoint and describe. Bearing the image of God is the convergence of all these things. The, the experience that we have of, of all these different abilities and characteristics. And we have to recognize that God has designed us in that regard. And so this morning I want us to consider God's good design in the human being. But we need to recognize that with design comes purpose. If you're an inventor, you don't invent things for simply the sake of invention. If you design something, you design something so that it has very clear, important purpose. So this morning I want us to consider God's good design in human beings and understand something of our purpose. First and foremost, we need to understand from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that God created both genders in His image. This is not complicated. Yet we live in a civilization that has made this very complicated. And I also believe that both is a pretty simple word. Last I checked, both refers to two. If there's more than two people, I don't look at that group of more than two and say, hey, both of you guys come with me. If there are two people standing there, I look at those two people and say, both of you, come with me. Both genders are created in God's image. When God created male and female, he did so by design. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't emotional. It had purpose built in. We read over in Genesis chapter 2, the creation account, with a little bit more detail than we get in Genesis chapter 1. 
We read about the fact that God made Adam first, not because God is a chauvinist, but because God chose to, in his wisdom, create Adam first. And he gave Adam a task. Adam's task was to have this incredible parade of animals come in front of him, and he was to name all the animals. But as he was naming all the animals, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but it's very likely that he probably paid attention and noted something unique about all the animals that came before him. He noticed that there was a he-bear and a she-bear. He noticed that there was a, a he-horse and a she-horse. And if he'd gotten the water, he probably would have seen a seahorse. He saw that there was a, a he-ardvark and a, and a she-ardvark. He saw all of these things, and as he looked around, he noticed that there was no she-Adam. There was just a he-Adam. And so God saw this, and God knew exactly what he was doing, and he declared that the condition that Adam was in was what? This is not good. Not good. Everything's been good up until this point. The declaration of every step has been, and God saw that it was good. And here God says, this is not good. And so God set out to make this good. Genesis 2.20 says, The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. In the creation of Eve, God set out to make Adam a helper. Let's not be naive. Adam could not... Men, got to come down a level here. Adam could not fulfill his purpose alone. It was impossible for Adam to complete his God-ordained purpose by himself. He had to have help accomplishing the purpose. What was the purpose? Multiply and fill the earth. It's hard to multiply when there's only one. It's hard to multiply when there's only one person. It's also very difficult to multiply when you lack the necessary equipment. The only way for Adam to fulfill his purpose was through the help that could only be provided by the woman. I suspect that once he got over the initial shock of, whoa, man, he probably looked at her and said something like, sweetie, I need you, and you need me. And men, if you're smart, you will continue to say that to your bride today. So this idea that women are somehow inferior is absolute nonsense. If you're a chauvinistic man who thinks that women are inferior to you, you are, you are in, a, you are in a, a very foolish place. Because you can't do your part. You can't do your job without her. However, this is important, equal in worth does not mean identical in purpose. Equal in value does not mean identical in purpose. God made male and female, both genders, both sharing in his image, both of equal value before the Lord, but different in purpose. I do not need to get into biology today. But again, design equals purpose. It does not define worth. 
Men and women are different by design. By design. Listen, our confusion today is profound. I saw in the news yesterday the United States Olympic Committee is allowing a biological man to compete in the women's marathon trials. The Olympics have come to the point to where biological men are allowed to compete in women's sports. And I see the look on many of your faces. Rational-minded people are bothered by this. It doesn't make sense. Because even though you recognize equality in worth, you understand that there is a difference even in ability. And when our media celebrates a world record being broken by this transgendered person running in a women's sport, that should bother us, that should trouble, trouble us because it reveals just how deep our confusion actually is. God made human beings a particular way with a particular purpose and design, and we need to make sure that we are bearing witness to this truth in a very confused culture. Not in a hateful, bigoted way, but in a way that is consistent with biblical revelation and biblical truth. Secondly, by design, people are prevalent. People are prevalent. Part of God's command to Adam and Eve is multiplication and filling. Multiplication and filling is part of what God gives their, part of their instructions. Well, here's the question. How much is full, right? I mean, is the cup half empty or half full? Is the world half empty or half full? How much is full? This is an interesting question to ask today. In 1968, Paul Ehrlich wrote a book called The Population Bomb. Anybody ever read that? Population Bomb. He warned that the human population of the planet was growing at an unsustainable rate. Ehrlich predicted that hundreds of millions of people would die in the 1970s and 80s due to mass starvation. This was, this was a guiding principle in scientific sociological studies in the 60s and 70s, the belief that we were going to lose hundreds of millions of people due to famine and plague. Ehrlich was an advocate for draconian measures like adding sterilant to the drinking water like we add fluoride to the drinking water. He believed that if we could just stop people from producing offspring, that the world would be a better place. He believed that the human birth rate should be cut to zero or negative. Listen to this. We live in a time today, in 2020, when we are able to grow more food in less area. People are hungry today, not because there is a lack of food, but because we lack the means of distribution. We produce enough food in the world today that no one in the world should go to bed hungry due to a lack of food. We simply can't get the food to where it needs to be. I suspect that if you were to just go through Fort Oglethorpe at 1 o'clock in the morning and look in the dumpsters of the restaurants that line Battlefield Parkway, I'd be shocked at how many hundreds of pounds of food is actually thrown away in the trash cans in one small town in North Georgia. However, if you Google, here's your, here's your Google search, how many people can the earth support? I Googled it, because Google knows everything, right? I Googled, how many people can the earth support? 
And the number one hit that came up said one and a half billion people. Did some quick math, didn't have to turn my phone sideways for this one. That suggests that we are six billion people over the limit. And I don't know about you, but getting rid of six billion people out of seven and a half billion is going to take some real complicated math. That's the world that we live in today. That thought process is pervasive today. It drives so much of the thought process of our social liberals. The sexual revolution, abortion on demand, all of this flies in the face of God's good design and plan for human beings. We see in God's simple design with the plan for marriage that he has a plan for multiplication and filling. How bad does it get when we start to go against God's perfect design? And the other piece of this, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. God loves people, and he has an inexhaustible capacity to love a limitless number of them. I love what the master of the banquet says over in Luke chapter 14. The servants are out inviting people to come to the banquet. When they've invited everyone they know, there's still room at the banquet. The master looks at them and he says what? Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. Why? that my house may be full. Interesting. He wants his house to be full. If we don't understand God's good instructions here, when we see what God has called people to do, God wants us to fill the planet, to multiply he looks at a full planet and says, let's get as many as we can into the house. God wants a full house, yet our culture is one that wants to eliminate the number. They've eliminated it through the culture of death. We've got a literal holocaust taking place in the womb of American women today. God wants people to be prevalent. And thirdly, by design and by necessity, understand this, the garden should grow. This is an extension of what we just talked about, but if Adam and Eve were to multiply and fill, then they had a challenge that they had to overcome because the reality is, is that they needed the garden to support that multiplication. God states this by, very simply by saying they were to subdue the earth and exercise dominion. Listen, if you're going to have lots of generations of humans, you're going to need a lot of place in which to put them. Even without a fall in Genesis chapter 3, if the fall never happens, the Garden of Eden was still a geographic location with clearly defined boundaries. And if Adam and Eve, apart from the fall, chose to multiply and fill the earth as they were instructed to do, they had to run out of real estate. And the only way that they would overcome that is to extend the garden. And so when God says to multiply and fill, exercise dominion over the earth, he's actually suggesting that that area of man's control should expand. They'd have to grow the garden. Well, listen, we talk about trigger words today, and this is a trigger word in today's cultural climate, the word dominion. Dominion is a trigger word. Put it on social media, and you will trigger people. Dominion suggests the opposite of what today's culture preaches. The prevailing wisdom of the day suggests that human influence 
should be minimized. That, that the best state is the natural state, and that's not to say there aren't beautiful natural places that are, that are untouched. I, I love being in those locations. But that's not what God asks us to do. God asks us to exercise dominion, rule over creation. Well, what does that mean? Well, it suggests wise stewardship. Consider this. If I'm to rule over something, if I'm a wise, benevolent, benevolent ruler, then I am ruling over it not for my own good, but for the good of that which I am ruling. I am ruling with the greater good in mind. Which means that if I'm a wise, benevolent ruler, I'm not consuming everything for myself and leaving nothing for those who come after me. This, this idea of dominion communicates wise stewardship. You know, the other day we were watching the, the Lion King, the, the new one that they remade, and um, I still like the animated version better. Those real-looking lions are kind of creepy-looking. But uh, if you remember the Lion King, you remember what happens. They really did a good job of communicating dominion, although they never showed the lions eating the, the, the subjects of, of Pride Land there. They never showed that quite, which I wondered. But if you look at what happens under Mufasa's reign, the, 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 the good king, Pride Land is thriving. The circle of life is working. There's green and there's animals and it's lush and everything is good because things just keep on rolling. But as soon as Mufasa is gone and, and, and his brother Scar takes the throne, what happens? Well, the place goes to pot, right? I mean, everything turns, everything's dead, everything's gone, everything is, 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 is wasted away. The land becomes famine-ridden because there's a key difference. One king demonstrated dominion. The other king demonstrated domination. And those are two very different patterns. Christians today need to be mindful of the two. Where we see domination, we should speak out against it. Where we see people abusing and taking advantage of and destroying resources so that others can't use them, we should speak out against that. At the same time, we should seek to exercise appropriate dominion. And we should be speaking with wisdom into a culture that has elevated the creation to a point of worship without acknowledging the clear instructions of the Creator. So what are we to do with this idea of human beings and the tasks that we've been given? Well, the first thing we have to consider is this. When we look around today, it's all too evident that it's not right. It's all too evident that things are, are not like they should be. People are really confused. Evil runs absolutely rampant. I mean, it's everywhere. You don't have to look hard to find evil whether it's a, a terrorist causing harm in that way or, or whether it's, it's natural type of evil. The creation that God has declared a very good creation in Genesis 1 is absolutely filled with disaster, disease, despair. How many have heard of the coronavirus? How many two months ago heard of the coronavirus? Yeah. We didn't even know it existed two months ago, three months ago. We weren't aware of it. But now everybody knows about it. Like next Sunday, we're going to be hearing masks. 
or this, this good creation is, there's things wrong with it. What happened? We'll talk about that next week. In the meantime, though, the church needs to speak with clarity to deal with the confusion that exists today. We ought not speak with, with, with cowardice. We ought to speak with courage and conviction to the confusion that exists in our world. And in doing so, it should increase our zeal for evangelism. We need to recognize that as image bearers of God, when we encounter the lost, there is a cost of that lostness. We are looking at a person who is a precious man or woman created in the image and likeness of God who comes up woefully short of the mark. And they're not to be left there all alone. God says, I want my house to be filled. And so when we see those image bearers who are coming up short, it should compel us to show them how they can join the house, how they can come to the banquet, how they can be invited to have a seat because there is still room in the house. God has provided for their redemption if they will but respond to the gospel. But how do they hear unless someone shares? When we recognize one another as image bearers, it should minimize our irrational prejudices. God has made people, human beings, into a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful quilt of light and dark, male and female, the color of one's skin, their nation of origin, their gender at birth does not diminish the reality of their created purposes. They are precious creations who bear the image of a holy God. We should recognize them and treat them as such. When we understand what human beings are created in the image and likeness of God, church, this should increase our love for life from the moment of conception through natural death. Christians ought to be champions for life. And our civilization is very confused about this. Last year I was shocked when, I guess it was... Norway or one of the Scandinavian countries celebrated the fact that they had eradicated Down syndrome. Down syndrome doesn't have a cure. The only way to eradicate Down syndrome is to eliminate it in the womb. And we have nations celebrating that accomplishment. Church nations should be grieving that we've done this. Men and women, male and female, created in the image and likeness of God, created with design, created with purpose, created with intentionality. Listen, that's what being human, that's what it's all about. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, I thank you for fact that we are created in your image and likeness we pray God that as we consider what it means to bear your image God that we would we would be a church that has an increased zeal for evangelism God there are people who have your image and have your likeness who don't know it 
They are confused. They are steeped in their sin. And more than anything right now, they need a right relationship with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. You have provided for their redemption if we as the church will but communicate that. God, I pray that we as the church would speak with clarity and conviction and courage to a very confused world. That, that we would not speak with judgment in our voices, that we would not speak with hatred in our tone, Lord, but that we would speak with compassion. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.